Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. We are talking about, uh, think about it. Uh, If you're new with us, or if you haven't been here here for a little while, you've come in in the sort of middle of a series called Think About It, where what we've done is we've taken some chunky topics uh, we've talked about politics. Woo. Uh, we've uh, we've talked about end times. Uh, uh, last week, Mike dove us into the very uncomfortable story of Samson, uh, and, uh, and and what we can sort of draw out of that. But today, I want to talk about something that, uh, thankfully, is not that controversial, but it's really foundational. A, a, a foundational sort of theological term uh, that we use that's really important for our life of faith. And so if you have been a a Christian for ages, uh, I'm not going to be talking about necessarily anything new to you, but my hope in it is that it will help to deepen and broaden your understanding of the concept of it. If you are new to faith, and one of the really important things for us as a community to remember and is just fantastic, is we have people sitting in the room with us right now or with us online who faith for them is a completely new thing. They've never, they haven't grown up in church. They don't, they don't understand much of the Bible, but yet here they are, here you are, exploring this thing of faith. And so my hope, if that's you this morning, maybe you're brand new to a life of faith, to being a Christian. Maybe you're still exploring the concept of it then what, we talk, what I talk about today, I hope, will help to give you some foundational understanding of what it is that you're actually stepping into. You may or may not have heard of the term. You may or may not have heard of Christians sort of talking about this as a reality. But my hope is that it will give you some, some, some good, solid foundation to sort of walk on from. All right? Let's pray. God, we so thank you for your word and for the, the good that it comes out of it, but into our souls. And so we pray that as we focus around uh, what's contained within your word this morning, Lord God, just speak into our hearts once again, Lord God, of the, just the beauty that there is in what you have invited us into. In Jesus' precious name. Everyone said? Everyone said with just as much vigor as they cheered just about an hour ago. I want to talk to you this morning about the incarnation. About the incarnation. About when God put flesh on and came in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation. Uh, Perhaps a little bit appropriate as we sort of weave our way towards Christmas. I know that's scary (laughs) to acknowledge, but it's true. But this reality that we see within the pages of Scripture, that we realize that Jesus is both man and God. Fully man and fully divine. The incarnation. All right? Now, this is a bit of a big topic. 
And uh, there is a lot <laughs> that has been written about it, uh, spoken about it over the centuries, and I am not by any stretch of the imagination proposing that I'm going to summarise it all in the next 20 minutes or so. But it's one of those really important things that we give focus to and we spend some time thinking about because the way that we think about God affects the way that we live, the, the way that we think about this reality of Jesus being both God and man. It actually affects the way that we talk about God. It affects the way that we act. It affects the way that we live out our lives of faith. It, it affects the way that we think that God thinks about us. And so it's really important that we just sort of do a deep dive into, uh, into this reality. So what I want to do this morning is really just simply, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about those realities, the reality of Jesus as a man, and then the reality of Jesus as God. And then I want to switch gear and talk about, well, so what? You know, what what? What difference does that make? What are some of those invitations that because of the reality of this incarnation we have within our lives to step into? All right, make sense? With me so far? Okay, good. So Jesus being human. Jesus being human. Uh, According to the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, The incarnation is defined as the enfleshment or embodied in flesh. Jesus was God incarnate, God embodied in flesh. And I actually think it's a great place for us to start because our faith is to be embodied in flesh, isn't it? You know, like our faith is not just something that goes on in our minds. It's not just something that we think about. It's not just something that we believe in theory. It is an embodied experience. We want to talk about that a little bit later on, but it's something that we live out. So it's a good place for us to start in. So, in God sending his son Jesus to earth for us, he shows us what an embodied life of faith can look like. And although in in one regard it might be sort of quite simple in, 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 in one sense to do it, it's important for us as we look at scripture to actually notice how Jesus is a man. How is he human what what evidence do we see what pointers do we have within the pages of scripture that actually reinforce Jesus really was a man and i want to revisit the first couple of these scriptures um, when we start talking about Jesus being god because they're so important but if we turn into john 1 for example this incredible chapter about uh, about who Jesus is in john 1 and verse 14 sort of uh, you know Partway through that chapter, uh, it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is talking about Jesus there, which we'll talk about in a second. But God willingly humbled himself to dwell in a physical way with us. Uh, Then in Philippians 2, 6 and 8, It says again in talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, 
did not understand equality with God something to be used by to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is this humbling process, isn't there? This self-giving love process that goes on as Jesus walks the earth. Completely human, made in human likeness in every way. In the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament that paint the picture of Jesus' life, they give us lots of examples and just things to notice about, about who this Jesus is, but in the fact that he really is a human, he really is a man. Uh, they demonstrate in his humanness and things like this list that we'll put up on the screen. We've got uh, the fact that he slept, that he ate, that he had physical protection. He, he needed to be physically protected. He perspired, he bled, he was tempted. He worked as a carpenter. He attended parties. Uh, he called himself a man. He expressed emotions, joy, sorrow, compassion, anger, pain, all very human emotions. And even after his resurrection, he was recognized by his disciples as being a man, a human being, building this picture of the humanness of Jesus who walked the earth as one of us. Or as Galatians 4, 4 and 5 tells us, but there's quite a bit of there's quite a few scriptures here, right? Are you ready to hold on for the next few minutes? But when the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, man, this promise, adoption to sonship. He came in human form, bound by the same constraints, so that he may relate to us, but also redeem us, so that we may become children, sons and daughters of God. Uh, as Mike pointed out last week with the story of Samson and others like him who, who came but failed, Jesus came and succeeded. In doing what only Jesus could do, of coming and being that perfect, that perfect sacrifice, sinless human being who walked the earth. He became a perfect sacrifice on the cross for us as a human. Jesus was human. I know that I speak on behalf of many people. You know, we're just so grateful for the fact that he, is, he, he he's walked it like us, you know. That when we're in the mess, we're, you know, doing, doing stuff, when we're facing difficulty, it's, it's, it's not foreign. It's not foreign to God. He's been there to walk the earth. Yet he was also divine. Fully man, 
but fully divine. You know, as you think about it, you know, as you step into a life of faith, it's like, whoa, okay, this is, this is a big concept. <laughs> if we step back a moment into those scriptures I mentioned just before in John 1, in the beginning, this is how it starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This was the Word not just written, but in the person of Jesus. And then in verse 14, as we read, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of truth, of grace and truth. Then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He is the one who has made him known. Distinct from God, but is also God. The part, this perfect synergy of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son is here on earth as a man, but also as God. As Philippians 2 uh, started off, uh, where we also read just before in verse 6, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know, Jesus, his very own, uh, is, the, in, is in very nature God. Or perhaps I think it says it even more clearly in the New Living Translation. Though he was God, this is the same verse, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Or in Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That, um, that word, the exact representation, apparently it's, it's from the Greek word um, character, which is where we get our word character from. But what it referred to is that when they would have um, a coin that was being made, they would make you know, a, a stamp out of a hard metal and they would stamp it into a softer uh, metal to produce the coin. That would be the exact representation of what was on the stamp in the first place. And it's like that's what Jesus is. He is it is God's stamp into human frailty that would be the exact representation of God himself. The divinity of Christ. Tom Wright, in commenting on this particular verse, he says, look at him, and it's like looking in a mirror at God himself. His character is exactly reproduced, plain to see. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. A similar way, Colossians 1, 15 and 16. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Uh, Then skipping down a little bit in verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have man, all his fullness, dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. You're one of those things to be reconciled to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, uh, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Or in the next chapter, in Colossians 2, in verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is not just some historical figure who walked around the earth doing good things. The fullness of the deity, God himself. Yeah! It was one of the things that got him in trouble. You know, the Pharisees, the political leaders of the time, they recognized that he was actually claiming to be God. And it was a problem to them. And fair enough. There's so much more. But perhaps the the biggest and most powerful pointers that we have of Jesus' divinity is actually through the resurrection itself. You know? It's all well and good having someone say that they are God. There were some loonies uh, that, had, you know, that had been before Jesus who had said similar things, uh, but they weren't. <laughs> but the resurrection you know, is just so important in spelling out this reality. Uh, there's this, this moment after uh, Jesus has been raised, where he's been resurrected, and and Thomas is like with the other disciples, man, unless I, unless I see the scars in his hands, uh, you know, I, I don't buy it, you know. And then about a week later, Jesus appears to the disciples, including Thomas. He shows Thomas the scars in his hands. And Thomas returns to him, turns to him, Jesus. says, my Lord and my God. Through Christ's resurrection, he had victory over sin and death. He showed that he didn't just come as a human being to live under the law. He came to fulfill it and to bring freedom and relationship back to God the Father. And honestly, like I said, there's so much more that we could dive into. But but so what? So what? How, how might this reality of Jesus being fully God and fully man affect the way that I live? What is it that I'm invited into? That all of us are invited into. And so what I want to do is just switch gear a little bit. Let's just talk sort of a little bit more practically, you know. What are some of those invitations that God gives us that we see experience through the reality of the incarnation? 
Because we see on the cross that Jesus wins. That love wins. This selfless, self-giving love of God wins over death, over fear, over sin, over sickness, over the enemy. And as a result, there is a life that each and every one of us can step into. A life that's lived with God both in the here and now and for all eternity. Uh, Hebrews 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus wins. So let me just sort of hone in on three in particular uh, invitations that, that I see from the incarnation. There are more, but three really important ones. Firstly, the incarnation invites faith to be, to be embodied. As we, as we mentioned earlier on, the incarnation of Jesus reminds us of the importance and the goodness of physical being and of life itself. Uh, you know, being a, a Christian is not about just an academic experience, you know. And it's not about, well, I'll just get to head to heaven one day. You know, yes, of course, that's an amazing promise, but there is life to be lived now. You know, he, he, the incarnation invites us into a change of life now. The actions, the decisions, the, the things that I put my effort and resource into, it matters to God. Uh, Brad Jusek, uh, who wrote a couple of really great books. Uh, this is one of them, uh, A More Christ-like Way. If you want to kind of dig into uh, the reality of this uh, sort of thing some more, that's one um, really good resource. But he, he says, we inevitably become like the God we worship. Good or bad, you know? But as we look to and we worship Jesus, we look to how he lived. You know, what was important to him? How did he treat others? What did ultimate love look like? That's, that's the model. That's the embodied faith model that we are to chase after. How might my and your embodied life of faith be shaped by that? As you just reflect for a second on your own life, is there an embodiment of faith, a physicality to your faith that needs to shift and change, something that needs to be done differently because of the reality of Jesus and the invitation that he has for us? How, it's just good for us to reflect and ask, okay, how, how am I embodying that? How am I living that out? It's to change us. The incarnation is also something that invites God into the mess. <laughs> Whatever mess that you and I have going on at the moment, the incarnation invites us to invite God into that. That's what Jesus did in coming to earth. 
he came into the mess that it was. And the beautiful promise that that is, is that it in turn invites us to do the same thing, to invite God in to the mess that we see within our own lives. Hebrews 4, 15, 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to try and hide the messy bits in our lives, don't we? You know, be it on a kind of a Sunday morning or just as you're gathering with people just in the flow of your week. To kind of, you know, to hide away the, the disappointments that you felt, the parts of your life where they just didn't sort of turn out the way that you had hoped for or expected. <laughs> Rugby games aside. <laughs> Go to the spring ball. I, I did like that. I thought sort of at least like half a church would be happy, whatever the result. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite 50-50. <laughs> Temptations that we face, the, the weaknesses that we see in various ways in ourselves, the, the mistakes that we've made, the sins that we've committed, and so on. You know, we can, we can sort of look to hide and push down that messy stuff. But I, I want to encourage you today with the question, what mess do you need to bring, uh, do you need to invite God into today? What piece of your life that's messy at the moment? We've all got mess. What is it that we need to invite God into? The incarnation invites us to an embodied faith, invites us to include God in the mess, and it invites forgiveness and hope. One of the most uh, precious gifts that's offered to us by way of Jesus is the forgiveness of sin. Within the Old Testament, you know, there was set up these, these, uh, these rules, these regulations, these things that we needed to do in order to be made right with God. Uh, Jesus, in, as, in coming to earth, as fully God and fully man, being that perfect sacrifice for us, he made it possible so that instead of needing to do all of those rules and regulations, we could simply come to the Father and ask for his forgiveness. Uh, sin, you know, doesn't have such a, bad, such a good rap, you know, in, in, uh, in our world at the moment. Uh, but sin is just... Anything that falls short of God's moral standard. And the Bible, you know, says, but I think we all know at the core of us that we have all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We've all, we've all acted in a way that wasn't at God's perfect moral standard. You know, whatever part of life that may have been in the beautiful promise and opportunity and invitation that we have as people of faith, as Christians... 
is to come and bring that to God. Say, God, would you forgive me? Many of us in the room, watching with us online and so forth, you, have, you know what it's like to experience that, particularly for that first time, eh? You know, as you, as you initially step into that life of faith of experiencing the forgiveness of God and being able to walk forward with that sense of just sort of lightness, you know, over, over your life, that, 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 that sense of sort of cleanness and wholeness, you know. And it's a great reminder. The incarnation is a great reminder to all of us who have been walking with God for a while to keep that as a regular rhythm. You know, to, to just have those, those, those still moments. Lord, is there anything I need to ask for your forgiveness for? Is there, any, is there any way in which I've sinned against you just in the last little while? You know, it's just, it's, it's important. It's good for us to be in that rhythm of just asking for that forgiveness because it's a beautiful promise. And if you're here and you have never experience that you've never asked for God's forgiveness you know that sort of inviting God into your life for the first time or maybe it's been a, a long time where you feel like you've kind of been walking away from God and sort of doing life on your own man there is a beautiful invitation that awaits you that God in his love and mercy the self-giving love he's made a way for you to experience that to step into that to walk through life with God in right relationship once again with the Father, which is just beautiful. And uh, in just a moment or two, I, I want to just—I want to give you an opportunity of, of praying a prayer that would that would actually do that, would, that would invite God in, and just uh, just some simple words to lead you through experiencing God's forgiveness for yourself if you've never done that or if you're just conscious that you've walked away from God in some way. But this is what the incarnation invites us into, eh? And like I say, there is much more. <laughs> but these are three really important things. What do you need... God to forgive you for today and of course the beautiful thing is that if as a community we step into a life like this man there is just something stunning that's created this oasis in the mess that is our world around us a place of hope and forgiveness and freedom and life bottom line is that the incarnation invites us to truly live. To truly live. Not to chase after the stuff that the world would put before us that we need to chase. To truly live. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.